0: Welcome to Reasonable Doubts, your skeptical guide to religion. Welcome
1: to Reasonable Doubts the radio show and podcast for those who won't just take things on faith. Broadcasting from Grand Rapids, Michigan, the Clasp on America's Bible Bra. I am David Fletcher. With me in the studio is Jeremy Bean, Yellow. And Dr. Professor Luke Galen. Greetings. And you can hear us on Reality Radio, WPRR 1680 in Grand Rapids, or Find us on iTunes or on our website, www.doubtcast.org, if you'd like to listen to our older episodes, uh, dig through the archives a little bit. So, guys, Thanksgiving this week.
0: Yes, yes, Thanksgiving. Time yeah. to be with family and to reminisce on those things that we're appreciative of.
1: Right, and and eat turkey, except those of us in the room who are vegetarians. Tofurkey.
0: And- yeah, I'm not eating
2: real turkey. You're, no. You're a savage. No judgment implied. I, I don't
0: eat turkey. Eat, yeah, I'm, Dave's uh, a vegetarian. I'm right? a pescatarian. We we all are? Um, I'm the backslidden vegetarian of the group. I, I do eat meat. Backslider. Under certain, certain circumstances, like sure. when I'm hungry.
1: Yeah, nice, nice, yes.
2: We should do an episode on that sometime.
1: Sure. <laughs> we should. We could get Peter Singer. So Thanksgiving, any big plans for anyone?
0: No, no, just... Uh, no. Grading papers. Yeah. 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 I'll tell you one thing I am thankful for. I'm thankful that some people in the Catholic Church have the balls to say what they're really thinking about it, things.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, this, uh, this story um, coming from The Telegraph in the UK, um, educated Catholics have sown dissent and confusion in the church, claims a bishop. This is uh, Reverend Patrick O'Donohue.
0: Which I believe we've discussed him on the show before. I,
1: I believe he's come up before. He's uh he's a, a great guy and, and like you said, he's really um he's being honest. He's calling it like he sees it. He uh he has recently argued that mass education dun 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 has led to quote, sickness in the church and wider society. It's that forbidden fruit all over again, isn't it?
2: Maybe we could revise the Catholic curriculum then to kind of dumb it down a bit. and
1: Yeah, yeah. They've been a little too open to science and, and all of that
0: stuff over but, the past few centuries. His problem, correct me if I'm wrong, is that educated Catholics are setting a bad example for the rest of them because they don't just accept church doctrines. On tradition or authority, right? They they are free thinking, and they might actually disagree with uh, the Vatican's pronouncements on certain things. Right. So that's that's the issue: is educated Catholics?
1: Yes, is that is that they're thinking for themselves, which is bad for society.
2: Well, technically, he's correct. The educated Catholics are the uppity ones who challenge things. So actually, he's he's. Right. Education is an enemy of authoritarianism. And.
1: Right, right. A- and um, he says that prominent Catholics in public life are are a big cause of problem. And since this is coming from the, the Telegraph in the UK, they cite such prominent public Catholics as Mark Thompson, the BBC's general director, and Tony Blair, former prime minister. Um,
0: Who just recently converted
1: to Catholicism. Did he really? I think. I-, I was unaware of that.
0: He's been taking mass for a while, but he – converted more recently.
1: He goes on to say that, quote, every human endeavor has a dark side due to original sin. And the dark side of education, of course, he says, is its distortion through the widespread dissemination of radical skepticism, positivism, utilitarianism, and relativism. Taken together these intellectual trends have resulted in a fragmented society that marginalizes God with many people mistakenly thinking that they can live happy and productive lives without him
0: mistakenly believing
1: I a- apparently I've been wrong all this time I
0: think this is still at issue I
1: I I thought I was was happy but apparently uh I'm miserable You're miserable
0: wow. Well is it the radical skepticism or is it the positivism that's the issue I mean, what, what what are we talking about? Radical skepticism, he probably means just doubting what the church actually says. Selective right. doubting. Positivism, that um, our words should actually refer to something in the real world, I'm mm-hmm. assuming.
1: Which is always dangerous. Yeah.
0: Utilitarianism, the idea that we should actually weigh out situations and look at the consequences of our decisions, mm-hmm. not just follow some rule set in stone. And then relativism, of course, that's, that's the big issue yes. because we have to— Actually, talk to people who disagree with us and have different perspectives. So, yeah, I could see where that would, would yeah, mess things up. For uh, that's
1: definitely bad for for society as a whole. Yeah, for a theocratic world. Well, he should,
0: he should
2: ship off to the third world countries where Catholicism is is uh, you know where they have converts down there. That's more like the Middle Ages. It might be more to his temperament. Right. That's yeah.
0: All right. the, uh, the uppity, educated types attack the witches and that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back where things are pure.
1: Yeah. Like the Puritans. See? Look, Thanksgiving tie-in. Look at that. Oh. We, we didn't even have to uh, – Party bonus. Yeah. Uh, although they weren't Catholic. At all. No. No.
0: It's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, that's not the only thing coming out of the UK for the Reasonable Doubts show. Mm. We have gotten several emails and many of them are from our UK listeners.
1: Yeah. Got a, got a big following in the UK it seems.
0: A very active one at least yes. as far yeah. as uh, sharing with us. By the way, this,
1: do, do the Brits spell skeptic differently? It's
0: spelled with a C here. Instead of a K? Instead of a K. Usually spell it a K. It's usually spelled with a K. It's usually
1: spelled with a K, but here the telegraph spells it with a C. Well,
2: uh, well, we need to correct them on that. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows um, better English than
0: Americans? Oh, yeah, yeah. English. We speak We're them a good talk. Spreken the Lingety. Um, this one is from Emma Cantrell. Hi, guys. Just thought it was necessary for me to drop you an email as I have recently downloaded all your podcasts and have started listening to them from the very beginning during my commutes to and from work. And I must admit I'm already hooked. Well, we're very glad that you're enjoying the show. Mm -hmm. Emma goes on to say, your discussions have also offered me some relief as being such an enthusiastic atheist, most of my friends and associates – Uh, Many of whom are religious now refuse to get into talks with me as they (laughs) invariably lose the argument and walk away embarrassed. Um, Emma brings up some questions that she's had. Uh, If hypothetically there is a God and he behaves and makes decisions in the way that Christians claim he does, Mm -hmm. despite the lack of faith, would a person who acted morally throughout their lives still be less favored by God than a person who believes but acted less morally than the non believer
1: mm.
0: well since I, I don't know the mind of God <laughs> and I'm not even sure if one exists i i guess i I guess I really have no no way to to know these things yeah I, it, I, there is a scriptural if if you take the christian scriptures there there are some arguments that would lend itself to that interpretation, such as the uh Jesus' parable about the sheep and the goats. Mm. If I recall correctly, the the sheep that Jesus includes, many of them say, I did not know you and I did not declare your name, mm-hmm. but yet they're accepted because every time they helped out a poor person, somebody that was in need, they were helping out God. Right. Right. And, uh, and the, the goats actually say, but Lord, we confessed your name the goats in the parable show a superficial religiosity they say the right things but they don't behave the right ways and jesus says away from me i never knew you Mm -hmm. so i guess if you look at verses like that
1: but that's what jesus said let's 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 not take that as an authority
2: well and even within the bible nobody could could agree on the whole uh, faith versus works Thing, right, uh, because right. there's contradictory passages I and mean, that's right. the whole Luther, Luther objected to the church's emphasis on uh, Catholic church's emphasis on works and mm-hmm. then he was the whole it's, you're saved by faith alone mm-hmm. you know and so and, and there's verses you can line up on either side of it so there's this contradiction about right. what's, the primi- what's the primary force acting morally versus believing in the right things right. most of us believe you know or I guess would say it doesn't make any sense to have a God that weighs belief as yeah. if it's better than simply acting morally, it right. doesn't Absolutely. to us. It right. doesn't seem to make any sense that you could act however you want and then have this belief that's self-contained as separate from that.
1: But of course, the argument is that if you, you know, if you are truly saved, if you're predestined, you know, if you're a good Calvinist and all that, if you're predestined to be saved, then you will not make those decisions to behave badly. You will you will be a moral person. So it it yeah. it gets very muddy and um unclear. I, I'd like to believe that if there is some kind of divine being out there uh judging us, that it's judged on on merit instead of on uh something as simple as as belief.
0: I, I would think typically the gospels tend to be the ones that emphasize your your own personal righteousness, your own behavior as far as your status with God goes. Mm-hmm. If you get into the epistles from uh, Paul, this is where you really get an emphasis on faith, not works. Mm-hmm. But even in the beginning of Romans, there is a discussion about people who just by their own nature do those things that the image of God inside of them prompts them to do or guides right. them to do right, right. As, as perhaps being sufficient enough for their own salvation. And mm-hmm. so Christians... Uh, of an evangelical nature who are concerned, you know, well, what about the third world person who's never heard the gospel often evoke those types of things to right. say if they followed the law of God written on their hearts, so their their natural conscience, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe that's sufficient of course that, that wouldn't apply to us cuz we're all antichrists right. here. How does that you know? fit
2: with the original sin if we're all tainted hopelessly to be sinners? If somebody follows their original impulse, how are you to well, determine whether it's a good impulse or a bad impulse? I don't
0: know, but that's for the apostle Paul to work yes. out, not for us. And the other
1: argument I was I was given was that um those people in the third world countries who never heard the gospel of Jesus—they never heard it because God chose not to save them. <laughs> which is the <laughs> Boy, other. Boy, that's which, Calvinist
0: to the end. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah absolutely. So <laughs> well, I'll teach
2: you for living in New Guinea. <laughs> yeah. Fry for eternity. That's
1: right. Well, clearly, um, God does not care for uh, people who don't have television.
0: Well, that—that's one email we have. Um, good question. Thank yeah, you for that. That is I'm, a good question. I—I I, I
1: really liked it too because I could read the email and, and think of a, a British accent, which always. Makes me
0: smile.
2: I was thinking of affecting the British accent to make me sound smarter. What do you think?
0: It couldn't hurt. Uh, here's another one. This is um, on not as big of a subject, but we've gotten a couple like these, and so I figured we should address it at some point mm-hmm. on the show. Uh, this comes from Don Jennings, a uh, listener in California in the United States. He says, I like your podcast, and you are articulated and well-informed. Well, thank you.
1: Th- thanks for that.
0: He does say, but I do think as a matter of listenability, you Uh might take an example from the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Great podcast. Get a woman to join the podcast.
2: Oh, if only.
0: (laughs) There's something about breaking up the monotony of male voices. And he says, and maybe it's sex appeal too. Who knows? That makes a podcast much more pleasant to listen to for an hour or so. You guys all sound surprisingly alike. (laughs) And that is not a desirable feature of a totally oral program. Um, (laughs) Having taken that into consideration, our special
2: guest today is Sarah Palin. No. (laughs) Hey, guys. Oh, you betcha.
1: Yeah. um, I explained to him that we have actually had this discussion since the beginning. Yeah. That that we would like to uh, uh, find a woman and um, we'd like to have a female voice on the show. (laughs) think is a, a better way of putting it. Um, it's just the problem of finding someone who is both willing and able to uh work with us
0: that, yeah. that makes this tricky. Um. To sit in isolation in a in a booth with us. Yeah. yeah. You know, um I, I I think it's okay to mention that um the, the fact that this is a testosterone pumped podcast with no <laughs> female leveling us up. <laughs>
2: Like Sports Center. What? <laughs> yes,
0: this was not a condition that we chose. Uh, right. We we actually had planned to bring in the female perspective, mm-hmm. and on our very first recording, we had a fourth member that was a woman, uh, a professor of of social psych at Grand Valley mm-hmm. University, and uh, she dumped us yeah. on the first date.
1: Yes, it was it was harsh.
0: Yeah, and. Um, and she was so qualified. She was smart. Um, she was funny. She mm-hmm. could be in a room with Luke and not attempt to kill him after an hour. Yeah. So she had all the, the prerequisites. Right.
1: Then, but she's
0: changed Yeah, yeah. It didn't work out, so. Um,
1: well, and and the other thing is, though, we, if we're going to have uh, an addition to the show, we don't want to just bring in a, a woman for the sake of having a token woman. You know, any more than we would want to bring in a fourth guy just to have a different voice. You know, we want we want someone who can contribute and who can work with the fairly bizarre schedule that that we work with. If we just wanted to add sex appeal, that's what we've got Luke for. But that is uh, no, that is something that we've talked about for a long time. And it's something that a number of people have written. And, hey, if there are any uh, women Listening, especially in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, who would be interested in—I don't know—auditioning for our the show. B- our
2: band needs a lead singer. Uh,
1: then uh, give us, uh, send us an email, or, or track us down on Facebook or something, because uh, we're certainly open to it. We just, uh, we just haven't met the right lady yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. Someday, guys. Yeah.
1: Just disappointed to hear that our voices sound so alike, because. I think Luke's voice is kind of Weasley. I thought so mine was so. ruggedly masculine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> one, one last real quick email. This is from Chris. He says, Dear Reasonable Doubters, I spent most of Saturday enjoying your podcasts. I just discovered them. Um, so we're, we're glad you're listening and uh, hope you continue to enjoy it. He said, I would like to share a couple of my thoughts for what they are worth. Though Christians often talk about grace and resurrection, to me the essence of Christianity is Christ's atonement. Hmm. Good point. Mm-hmm. The doctrine of atonement, unfortunately, makes no sense to me. He he talks about you know killing an innocent scapegoat. How does that help anything? Right. Uh, but he does bring up Christian theologians since origin. He writes have proposed at least ten different explanations for atonement works. Calvin's. Uh, uh, penal substitution theory seems to be the theory that I hear most frequently. Um, so, uh, this is like the the idea that Christ's death is a propitiation for one's sins; that it it satisfies God's hunger for justice. That's right. Yeah. Um, so, so the mm, innocent we want justice. The fact that he's innocent allows him to take on the debt of someone who is not. And uh and so that's how atonement works. People receive forgiveness for sins because Jesus didn't have any and he paid he paid your debt. But he brings up a good point which um I've often thought about this myself. I wonder what you guys have to say about it, but I, I don't really hear this advanced as an argument against the doctrine of atonement too often. So Um, Tell me what you think, but he brings up a good point. He says, I've been thinking recently about the incongruity between the mountain of human sin compared to the relatively puny penalty of Christ's punishment. Some preachers and theologians go on and on about how sinful we are, but to pay off this huge amount of sin, God sent his son for sacrifice. The problem is, for me, that Jesus returned from hell in three days. Okay, so Jesus was whipped, humiliated, and crucified. So the whole punishment lasted four days. But as as Chris is pointing out, how does one pay off a, a debt of eternal damnation? Right. For everyone
1: of, who's ever lived and ever will right, live. Three to four days. And of course, three days is nonsense because if he died on Friday evening and arose on Sunday morning, right. it's you, a day and a half. Yeah, you I don't mean,
0: ever get to to three days who, um, who, do, in is any of the, the schemes that yeah. you can calculate it out to.
1: Someone uh, someone refers to um, Jesus as having had a bad weekend. Not, you know uh, Julia Sweeney. Yeah, uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Julia Sweeney. She was said,
2: comparing it to her, the suffering of her brother who died of cancer yes.
0: horribly over a period of time. Jesus so. had, had a bad weekend for yeah. our sins. Well, well it, if you take Jesus' own testimony in the Gospel of Luke, he tells the criminal on the cross next mm. to him that they will be in paradise that day. So, right. you know, well, and, and the other Jesus thing had a bad is, afternoon for our sins yeah. by now, that account.
1: Jesus' crucifixion, as according to the gospel accounts, was over in just a few hours. Mm-hmm. It was about three hours that he was actually on the cross. A typical crucifixion on the cross could last days and weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was a really... Um, quick and easy crucifixion. I mean, he suffered far less than a normal person even being crucified would. I'm not saying it didn't Suck because obviously it's a crucifixion. Have you seen the Passion of the Christ, Dave? Because if you, yeah, I, I have seen know. the Passion of the Christ. You'd know. No, I'd
2: know. no, the whole atonement thing. I mean, I think Bill, the, all the atheist people make fun of that, like Dawkins and Hitchens, by saying no, it, it's just the concept itself doesn't make sense to for God right. to send Himself to then atone for something vicariously. It, it you know it doesn't really make sense and. Uh, other Christians, I think more liberal ones, have realized that too. Was it was it uh, Peter Abelard in the Middle Ages said that it was uh, rather than atonement, it was God's gesture to show that He's as a, oh, a his, as a statement that humanity should try to emulate. Yeah. That you should submit yourself uh, to suffering willingly as a yeah. way to say, "I want to be like that," rather than a cash debt paid. Well,
0: mm. you know, if, if if Jesus is really taking on the sins of the world uh, in in that kind of format, you would think He would have to. Be in Hell for eternity to pay off the sins of one individual
1: well and and it's been explained to me as well that Jesus' time in Hell. Was way worse than than <laughs> what a normal person gets. Because kind of like Satan contact, got his best toy in contact,
2: know? where she disappears for just a second in the thing, and then but then she's actually in the other dimension. Yeah, there for oh, longer. Yeah. It's like so. the he
1: it, spent
0: extra eternities,
1: or or like a Christmas Carol, where he's like, oh, the spirits did it all in one night, okay, and it, it feels like a longer time. Uh, how do you do, like how do
0: you eternity. pack eternity into any finite time span?
1: Uh, a terasect. No, that would be space. Have you ever sat through (coughs) – Quantum physics probably. If you sat
0: through
2: an insurance seminar, you know how to pack (laughs) eternity into just a few hours. It seems like it's a lot worse. Okay. Or waterboarding. Same thing.
1: Yeah. So that's a a look at some of the mail we've gotten recently. Please keep sending in your uh, questions and comments and all that. We really appreciate that. And we're going to move on now to the first part of a two-part – Skeptic Sunday School taking a look at the Q Gospels
0: yeah we're gonna talk about Q and the Gospel of Thomas
2: this is for our English listeners that the Q Gospels were the ones written by James Bond's gadget maker guy
1: yeah. yes
0: Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was the uh, the omnipotent being from the Star Trek series.
2: Well, that's an even more obscure nerd reference. I was just going to say that you know Jesus would go to Q and oh, say, okay. is this just an ordinary cross? No, Bond. You put your <laughs> hand on the spike and it comes out and shoots a laser beam in you. Well done, Q. Wow. So it's not this, that guy? This
1: was supposed to be like a really brainy conversation here and uh, already we're uh, – we're we're talking James Bond. So don't ever
2: ask that question. If you go to a Q Gospel seminar at one of the biblical institutes, don't ever say, what does this have to do with James Bond's Ganymede? Yeah, they,
0: they don't go for that very no, well. They, they, they perceive that's wasting their time or something. I don't know. The reason to bring this up is that really if you take any sort of traditional orthodox view of Christianity, mm-hmm. such a belief rests on the assumption that the gospel accounts – we have accurate and reliable testimony as to who Jesus was and what his life events are, and that's
1: that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's, Matthew, that's Mark, Luke, and John. The canonical gospels. That's correct. Yep.
0: Now, if you could if you could demonstrate that, that wouldn't be enough to prove Christianity, but it's at least necessary grounds for Christianity to rest on if it is to be valid. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, we know that those four gospels now. The ones that got included in the Christian Canon are not the only testimonies as to really? Jesus' life Yes, we do Wow.
1: plus
2: apologists like to say there's four independent accounts. they think that strengthens their case That's for right. Jesus is like there's not just one, there's four independent accounts of him from different uh, you know different points of view and different eyewitnesses that adds to just right. it's more than just one account by so, somebody.
0: some apologists will set it up as a kind of a legal argument. Um, wouldn't we trust mm-hmm. the testimony of four different witnesses if they basically agree? Who did not speak to each other first? Four independent witnesses. Right, right. They all bring different testimonies to the table, but yet the similarities are remarkable. And so this points to the credibility, the trustworthiness of, of the biblical because witness. all they four say.
1: Gospels pretty much tell the exact same story.
0: Well, that traditional view of the strength And function of the Gospels has been challenged very strongly by biblical criticism in the last century.
2: There are uh, clear similarities in the story and they agree on some of the points. But in many ways, and this might sound paradoxical, in some ways they agree too much in the sense of being word for word literal Hmm. things. And in the other sense that they disagree on some key points as to – Facts, right? If they were four independent things, what you would probably expect is, you know, is that these would be paraphrases of the same thing, like sure. from an oral tradition. If I'm standing listening to you give a speech. You know, this is kind of like the Monty Python thing where they're like, you know, blessed are the Greek. Why would he say that? Oh, that's good. Um, <laughs> they never get anything. So the uh, if you're, as we know, helpfully from Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ, Jesus spoke Aramaic, which which was, you know, it's not the same as Hebrew. Uh, right. and But the Gospels were all written in Greek. Mm-hmm. So if Jesus is out there giving lectures in Aramaic and his followers are somehow jotting this down or memorizing it, you would expect somewhere in the translation that the translation would be. Different. You know, I might say the quick joke, brown fox jumped over the lazy dog, but somebody else might say, well, there was a dog and then the fox jumped over him because he was lazy. Sure. That it, would, it would be more like that. But what mm-hmm. you see in the Gospels are when there's a quote from Jesus or something like that, it's, word, it's often word for word mm-hmm. or, or more similar than you would ever expect. For the most part. Sure. And, and then there's other things like, you know, there's obvious things where there Jesus was alone or, or alone with Pilate or alone in the desert with a. And who took that down?
0: Sure.
2: So, right. you know, and then the other thing is that they often differ in key respects too, but they differ systematically. And this is the key point. It's not four right. eyewitnesses looking at the hmm. same accident. You see that there are systematic differences in the type of Jesus. And this is the most devastating blow to any unitary picture, like it's all the same Jesus given the right. same thing. And that is that the Gospels disagree across them with what what his message was or who he was or the way he treated his disciples. It looks just as if you would expect if different groups had a stake right. in the That's outcome right. of being different.
0: Yeah. This, this whole basic idea has a name. It's called the synoptic problem. The synoptic problem is of course referring to the synoptic gospels. So these would be the gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic means seeing the same way. That's right. How do, how do we address The the overwhelming similarities and the differences. I think Bart Ehrman um, shares a really good analogy for understanding kind of what's going on here. One that I think we can appreciate uh, doing this show, think of when you see two different articles on the same subject in different newspapers, but when they're both borrowing from the Associated Press. Yeah. Yeah. Oftentimes, when we're researching for the show, I come across this all the time mm-hmm. is that i get I try to get different sources to see different perspectives on the things, see if anybody left facts out, and you read the articles and you notice, wow, these paragraphs here are identical word for right. word uh, when you see that is that the authors are just borrowing from the a p newswire, but they might stick in a couple of things specific to them.
1: You put in the local angle, right. you
0: put in yeah. The type of emphasis that they want to put forward for their their readers. Mm-hmm. And this is very much the situation we have with these synoptic gospels. They are using the same source for the core of their material, but yet different gospel writers will then stick in their own personal information. Their own
1: flavor, their own... That,
0: that's right. Yeah. And when we look and when we see what is it that they changed, what is it that they decided to uh, alter... Leave out, put mm-hmm. um, in, right. Then we get an idea of the, what was the gospel writer's kind of distinctive focus. What what were they trying to get across? There's a whole kind of literary science to actually teasing out these differences and seeing um, who borrowed from what source, how did they edit it, and why? It's called redaction criticism. Redaction criticism is the study of how these texts were edited and and what this might imply. And the reason why scholars can actually do this reliably and how they can say with some accuracy how these Gospels have been edited is that we're very fortunate in that we have at least one of the two sources that the Gospels worked from. Hmm. And that source is the Gospel of Mark.
1: So the Gospel of Mark is is one of the – sources for these other gospels not not for john right john is the odd man
0: out john is the odd man out but both matthew and luke borrow heavily from mark the
2: stories are in the same order mm-hmm. uh, and that when and you can do this but you know many st- many people think because the gospels are listed matthew mark luke right. and john that That's matthew is right. first but actually marks the shortest uh, on, a, on a textual level the greek is the most crude and
0: and simplistic it's the most colloquial of the greek yeah. So yeah. The,
2: usually the rule that critics would use is if you're going to change a text uh, and alter it, you'd prettify it up.
0: Right. When you see Matthew or Luke repeating those stories that you see in Mark, mm-hmm. they they do. They fix the Greek. Now, if either of these other gospels like Matthew or Luke, as traditions say, would come first, I think the traditional account is that Matthew comes first and Luke is or, – or Mark is a Reader's Digest version of Matthew. <laughs> nice. That it, it kind of – it becomes more concise. Well, if that were the case, we would have to explain why would the gospel writer of Mark take from Matthew and Luke and intentionally muddy it up, take the language and make it Less more Less clear sloppy. and make it – yeah. And it doesn't make sense.
2: And that's on a textual level. But the other, I think, more relevant thing to the picture of Jesus is that the Jesus in Mark – is uh, is a, a more human Jesus and less powerful than the Jesus in Matt and Luke, which wouldn't make sense again if you were, you know, trying to. You, why would you leave out miracle stories or whatnot? Mm-hmm. And so there's right. passages in the same passage, and uh, this is kind of the word for word thing. The same passage in Mark will have a less powerful Jesus. So there's there's one where he says, I just had it bookmarked here where he. Um, says that he uh, why would you call me good only God is good that's the, what the version in Mark that's what but, Mark says
1: yeah. but in right. Matt
2: it says um, there is only one who is good so there he's just even little words. You could see that, the, oh, wow, you can't have Jesus if he is God saying only God is good because why would he say that? Right. So then Matt fixes it and then they make it seem as if less kind of uh, that he's not trying to say he's not A God. little bit more cryptic. Right. It's a little bit. And so it's full yeah. of things like that where he'll often just change words or phrasing to make a more powerful Jesus or one that's more, uh, a, a bigger picture of than mm-hmm. this in
0: Mark. Yeah. So this idea has come to be called in the study of the Gospels as Markan Priority. If the gospel of Mark comes first and Matthew and Luke borrowed from it, then Mark becomes kind of the Rosetta Stone to understanding how these gospels were put together, where were these texts changed and then, yes, as Luke was just saying, with these stories as you look at Matthew and Luke's additions to the gospel of Mark, You begin to see there's an evolution going on here. There's a changing concept of who Jesus was, what his identity was. And the further you get until you get to the book of John, which is the latest, um, Mm -hmm. which was the last to be written, uh, in John you have a very, very robust theological Jesus. He is equivalent with God. He He's is giving the word that was from the beginning. Yes. Long
2: speeches about I am this, I am that. He you don't see any of that right. in Mark.
0: No, Mark is Mark is much more simple. So let's give our listeners a, a more tangible example of this. And uh, this is to explain on Skeptic Sunday School, kind of how the logic of biblical criticism proceeds. Taking Mark as the first source, look at the additions changed to it. How, how do we how do we piece together a more accurate version of, of the gospel histories and how these developed. One would be to look at the baptism of Jesus in the book of Mark.
2: Hmm. Which is actually where it starts almost. That's the first major event.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: There,
1: there's no birth story in Mark? No birth story. So where'd that come from?
2: They just picked up when Jesus is already an adult getting yeah. baptized.
0: That's right. We don't see the birth narratives until later gospels. Hmm. Um, this is from the baptism of account in, in Mark. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from the heaven, you are my son, the beloved with you. I am well pleased. Now, that's the account that you'll read in Mark.
1: So you are my
0: son. With with whom whom I am am well well pleased. pleased. That's right. When you look at Matthew's account, it's different. That last phrase there, the the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, small difference, right? You are my son with whom I am well pleased or this this is is my son son with whom I am well pleased. Big deal. Small little difference, right?
1: Not so much, though. If Darth Vader had said to the entire, you know, imperial fleet, I am Luke's father, that's very different than him saying, Luke, I'm your father. Well, in the Mark that's version, right. it,
2: it could be a it's a pri- it could be interpreted as a private vision of Jesus or a private event that's to him. Whereas in the in the later Matt version, it's a it's more of a public right event. right. In, in Mark,
1: right. it says he saw the sky open up and the the voice that says, "You are my son." So it's it could just be something that was just for him. Whereas in Matthew, it's a uh, public declaration, right? Yeah,
0: that's right. And the the way we know that that interpretation is legitimate, that that's not just some sort of typo, is that we then trace the themes of the individual Gospels and we see if these differences follow that pattern. And in the Gospel of Mark, you have what is sometimes referred to as the messianic secret. In the Gospel of Mark, Mm -hmm. Jesus wants to keep hidden from others his divine nature. People don't seem to understand who Jesus is in that gospel. So Even the
2: disciples are obtuse and always saying, "Who right. oh, you? Know, who are you?" He's and not running around. Saying, they don't get
1: it. I'm That's God. It. I'm God.
0: So Mark chapter three twenty one. Jesus' own family thinks he's crazy. Hmm.
2: They're concerned about him, you know. And there's uh, another example there where that that the whole family rejection thing. He says that he's uh, a prophet's respected everywhere, but his hometown. And he says in Mark, he was not able to perform any miracles there, That's or right. he was said he was greatly surprised because people didn't have faith. Whereas in Matt, the same passage is that he uh, didn't he did not perform miracles there. So yeah, as he, he did not want to. to.
0: The demons recognize him, God recognize him, but his own disciples see him performing these miracles like walking on the water in um, Mark chapter 4 and then later in Mark chapter 6. He feeds uh, the thousands with just one loaf of bread uh, and they still don't get it. And so Jesus is con- continually saying, do you not understand who I am? And yet, but even stranger is that we get we get these situations where people do figure out that Jesus is the Messiah, mm-hmm. uh, such as the blind man in Mark eight twenty-two, um, who's you know he gradually starts to see.
2: Jesus has to take a couple attempts to make him see. Like, uh, the, the, the he, right. he his healings are kind of stumbling in Mark. He puts some mud on the guy's eyes, and he's like, "Can you see anything yet?" And the guy's like, "Well, I can see like the people look like trees moving around." Well, <laughs> oh, let me try again. Yeah,
0: yeah. Wow. And this is, a, but it's it's probably best seen metaphorically as like his nature coming into focus because it's right after this that we have Peter famously saying you are the Christ recognizing that he is the Messiah mm-hmm. but Jesus what is his reply to them when this happens he tells them do not tell others and he uh, shushes
2: demons too when demons recognize him he shushes the demons and says I forbid you to say anything that's
0: about right him. Mark eight thirty. he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him he's keeping his messianic sternly myth- yeah yeah so in, in Mark, um, the only public pronouncement that Jesus makes of his own messiahship is when the high priest puts him on the spot and just asks mm-hmm. him directly, do you think you are the, the messiah? And he says, he says yes. Um, it, it's, it's a secret. Mm-hmm. Well, that fits with the baptism of
1: – A private revelation
0: of right. the baptism. That's right. You are my son. Now in Matthew uh, – you don't, you don't get any of this. In Matthew – Jesus, his ministry, his his messianic nature is made public. Mm-hmm. Mary uh, gets a vision, knows his significance from the beginning. The wise man, so even astrologers, non Jewish astrologers, can right. put together the stars in the sky and uh, the signs in the sky and figure out that he's the Messiah. Um, the disciples, after they see Jesus doing some of these miracles, like walking on the water, uh, they they're openly astonished and uh and think you know this this is the son of god right um whereas in you know in in mark they they're blind their hearts are hardened they they don't understand what jesus is coming from so in matthew his messianic nature is much more public right. and this is where we see in his baptism that the god's pronouncement is not just personally to him it's to the public yeah so over
1: the loudspeaker they're not just
0: mm-hmm. two different views of the same thing. They're different views as to what his even his significance was to right. people. That's right. Uh,
2: they're not they're in com- mutually incompatible with each other.
0: If you were to look at the context around that baptism story in Matthew, you also see the Pharisees present who aren't there in Mark, uh, and they're being judged and they're being told that don't think just because you're a Jew, don't think because you're a descendant of Abraham that you're going to get in the kingdom of heaven. God can take even these stones and uh, and make descendants of Abraham, in Matthew over and over again, you get the people are accountable for knowing who Jesus is. In Mark, you can give them some excuse, right? Because he kept it a secret. Mm-hmm. In Matthew, you get none of that. Which uh, looks
2: entirely consistent with, with a book that would be written when there's factions already fighting about whether that's he was right. that or not. Because Matt was – Matt looks just like you'd expect if you were writing to try to say you guys didn't recognize who he was. There are real Jews and then there's these bad Jews. That's right.
0: So historians will take that data and they'll, they'll look at it and they'll say, well, you know, at the time of Jesus' life, the Pharisees don't seem to be that much in control of the situation. They, they aren't as big of a religious sect as maybe some others on the scene. However, later on during the early Christian church, especially after Jerusalem is destroyed in 70 AD, mm-hmm. the Pharisees are given power by the Roman authority to kind of keep things in line. The Pharisees would have been the major opponents of early Christianity. And so as you see in the Matthew gospel, they start ramping up the rhetoric against the Pharisees and we see here – yeah, we see this this progression. I want to read one more verse. One thing that's distinctive about Matthew that you won't find in any other gospel is that um, when Pilate is – when Jesus is being brought up on charges, Pilate's wife is warned in a dream that Jesus is innocent. Hmm. So Pilate offers a pardon for Jesus, you know, uh, possibly to the people, gives them the choice if they want to pardon him or execute him. And the crowd says in Matthew 27 verses 24 and 25, they, they insist that Jesus be crucified. And so Pilate says in that verse, I am innocent of this man's blood, see to it yourselves. And the crowd replies, his blood be on us and our children. Now, <laughs> wow, do you, yeah. Does
2: that sound like something that crud, that crowds would say? In, in,
1: yeah, uh, at a rock concert, <laughs> perhaps.
0: <laughs> but you see, you see what's going on here. If you look at the ho- the historical development, if we take Mark in priority as being true that Mark was written first, mm. then Matthew here wants the Jewish people to be accountable, and so this messianic secret that you see in Mark can't can't fly. Instead, Jesus has to be entirely public. And the Jews have to know exactly what they're doing when they condemn him. They have
1: to be guilty um, and willfully guilty.
0: And if in Mark, even his own disciples don't get uh, who he is and his own nature, how can we hold the rest of the Jewish people accountable for it? So that's an example of how redaction criticism would take place. And of course, then you bring in historical insights and the rest and that That helps uh, fill out the picture. Redaction criticism can go forward like this and and come to these conclusions because we have one of the sources that the rest of the Gospels were written Mm -hmm. off of. That is the book of Mark. Now, the other source that we speculate informed the writing of of Luke and Matthew, um, and would it be John even also? I think John includes this too.
2: Some of it, the sayings, yeah.
0: The other source is this mysterious gospel, Q, which we don't actually have a copy of. But nevertheless, we think there's good reasons to believe this gospel of Q existed.
2: Yeah. Actually, I think Q is, is more interesting to me, I would argue, than some of the other gospels because – This material might antedate any of the prettified other versions that we have of Jesus. So the the Q Q stands for Quella or Source. This was something that was discovered Mm. by German historians back in the 1800s when they looked at Matthew and Luke having all this other material that Mark didn't have. But the material agreed almost verbatim with each other. So that that is that it would be so just as you would expect. Else. Yeah. That the that, that you that authors of Matt and Luke must have been looking at a copy of Mark and a copy of something else because they had material uh, that was almost verbatim in Greek mm-hmm. with each other, which, as we discussed before, is pretty hard to to square with summarizing somebody talking in Aramaic. Right. They must have had a, a text. So that was one of the pieces of ev- there's other pieces of evidence though. One is that there's where Mark uh, where Mark leaves off and Matt and Luke add stuff. It tends to be the same stuff between the two of them, right. but they cut it up and put it in different areas often. That is, if I have this quote from Jesus, what do I put it in? They often put it in the different types of stories. Huh. So it's almost like somebody cutting and pasting text. So the other piece of evidence, though, is that there, it's almost always sayings of Jesus. That is, there's very little narrative in queue of saying uh, of like, you know, a story like the passion story or whatever. So it's
1: a lot it's, more of the aphorisms and, yeah. and stuff.
2: And we've just recently discovered that those sayings texts existed with this discovery of the Thomas gospel within the Nag Hammadi stuff. Thomas is also – we have we do have a physical copy of Thomas. Right. And it's written of Jesus said this, Jesus said that, the disciples asked him, he said that. Yeah. It's
0: not a narrative. It doesn't tell the story beginning to ending. It's like proverbs. It's a collection of different sayings. And so like we, a know, we Socratic know, dialogue. Yes.
2: Yeah, so we know that that a sayings. Has existed, and since the Q content tends to be only sayings, therefore, the strong evidence that these sayings existed independent from mm. a story context. And the other thing that makes it, uh, evidence for Q is that the content is different from the other uh, Gospels in that it's not really Jesus is God or spiritual. These tended to be aphorisms that would be like uh, Cynic. Uh, critics at the time like uh, people like socrates that would wander around and question the morality of the day yeah. they often use rural imagery like the bird and the lilies in the field and things like that so the mm-hmm. content is not i am god worship me uh, apocalyptic type stuff it tends right. to be more often wisdom, uh, wisdom sayings uh hmm. poverty you know Confucius. Um, yeah and so uh like i just have a, a one quick example would be from the um from the, uh, saints inserted in different places as you guys might've remember the faith of the centurion story. Mm-hmm. This is where the centurion uh, has a f- servant that is in trouble and needs Jesus to heal him. And, uh, The centurion says, you don't even need to come here. I believe if you say he's going to be healed, he's going to be healed. Right. And in the middle of the story, then in the the Matt version, Jesus then goes into, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith as the centurion. Say that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham and Isaac. He goes off on this thing. If you read it in Matt, it's like, why is he... Uh, digressing, But if you read the version in Luke, the centurion story is encapsulated in a different story. The centurion says this. Jesus is like, wow, he's in his faith. But then the saying of the Abraham and Isaac in the east and the west is put into a different location. One is in Luke chapter 7. The other is in Luke chapter 13. So there's wow. a, a, a digression that Jesus has that is – the authors of Matt and Luke took verbatim and inserted it into two right. entirely different stories, and that occurs again and again.
0: They have the same exact stories, but they can't agree on where to put them, where the order is. But yet, we do know that whenever Matthew and Luke are borrowing from Mark, that they always do agree on the order.
2: And the order of the stories: yeah. this happened first, then he did that. It's
0: only in these verbatim sayings that they both borrow. Um, That are not in Mark. They put them in different orders. And so, again, this suggests there's a different source. It's independent and it's clearly prior to the writing of either Matthew or Luke.
2: And so what mo- what most scholars, reasonable scholars, I would say, uh, agree now is that this Q source must have, have predated a lot of the narrative stuff of the Gospels that were written probably in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s of the first century that many date the Q Gospel to maybe the time of the epistles or even earlier as oral tradition, mm-hmm. which obviously has implications for things like faith and apologetics because if Jesus is not discussing things like his divinity, that is, if his followers wrote down Q and thought what's important about him is the is the wisdom scenes and not yes. hey this guy says he's God the way to
1: live a good life it's acts instead of uh, versus faith yeah. all over again. yeah that
2: he is essentially that all the other uh, God type stuff was layered on top of it afterwards and mm-hmm. what Jesus's ministry really was would have been things like live a good life now help the poor don't do it people that you wouldn't want done to you that sort of thing
0: right. now obviously this is going to be found pretty controversial by most. Orthodox Christians living today, I don't mean Eastern Orthodox, but I mean more more traditionally oriented Christians. And so apologists have attacked these ideas pretty vehemently. So for our next episode, we are going to discuss more about this Q Gospel, more about redaction criticism, but we're going to bring up some of the objections that apologists have made and mm-hmm. see if we can answer them. So look for that one next time on Reasonable Doubts.
2: We'll also actually have found by then a copy of Q that we can
1: bring into the
0: studio. Yeah, hopefully. And do um, we're doing
1: that for you because we care. And we're going to wrap up today with another edition of Stranger Than Fiction.
2: Everybody was kung
1: Monks' brawl at Jerusalem Shrine. Uh, Some of you may have seen this video already. It's available on YouTube. Just uh, search Monks Fighting. Israeli police uh, have had to restore order at one of Christianity's holiest sites after a mass brawl broke out between monks in Jerusalem's old city. Fighting erupted between Greek Orthodox and Armenian monks at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. The traditional site of Christ's crucifixion, um, and you guys, have you watched this video? Yeah, it's brutal. I mean, they're launching. It looks like like wrestling. You know, the oh, yeah. launching well, themselves. Well, this, this added...
0: Armenian, I love this one scene where this Armenian guy goes up to the Orthodox and like sucker punches him from the side and then like bounces off. I mean, oh, these yeah. guys are like.
2: We should explain that in, the, in those in a lot of the holy sites, they've become so um, Balkanized and, and divvied up into areas, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a, all these elaborate rules to keep this sort of thing from happening. So, right. like, there's Armenian Christians and Greek Orthodox right. Christians and other type of everyone Christians. gets a little. Piece. This is is your so have different times yep. of the day when you can have your services, and here's your area of the chapel. And so they try to, you know, they've tried to head these things off before by Byzantine rules that would keep them divided. But apparently, these yeah. rules aren't effective.
0: Maybe they and should just crack open
2: the the Gospels. There, I mean, uh, the love of the Lord is clearly with these people that are basking day after day in in the contemplation of Jesus' peacefulness. And
1: the article here from the BBC News says that uh, the Greeks blamed the Armenians for not recognizing their rights inside the holy site, while the Armenians said the Greeks had violated one of their traditional ceremonies. So basically it broke down into uh playground i was here first this is my swing uh kind of argument and it really just just got nasty uh quick and uh you know
2: yeah. Well. It's almost like the Mighty Python thing where the different groups are like, you know, this is his gourd. Yeah. You know, no, no, no. Yeah. He didn't get it. The gourd is not his message. <laughs> this is his shoe. Or the uh, the The, P- the, shoe, the PFJ the versus the JFP, you know, with the Judea people's front. Not the People's Front of Judea.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh but definitely check out that video. It's it really is um good. And luckily no one was killed. You know. Right. right. There There is no bloodshed at the site of Jesus' crucifixion. Because that, that would have been too ironic, I guess. Uh, but uh, it's – because they're, they're wearing their robes. You know, These are, these are monks.
0: Yeah, they're like Shaolin monks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> at least they have oh. an excuse. <laughs> if only there could be an
2: idea of like – I don't know what religion that would be like. Maybe Gandhi's type of Jains that would be like, no, no, use my time. No, 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 no. I insist. No, you go first. You turn the other cheek. No, you turn
0: the other cheek. Let me strike
2: the other one instead. Love thy enemy.
0: Love thy enemy. (laughs) Can't we all just get along? Yeah.
1: Uh, Well, uh, that's it for this edition of Reasonable Doubts. You can find us on our website at www.doubtcast.org. Or those of you in the Grand Rapids area can find us on WPRR 1680 AM Ada Grand
0: Rapids. Thanks for listening and have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody.
1: And those of you who aren't Americans, have a happy Thursday.
0: To catch up on past Reasonable Doubts episodes or to email your questions or comments, check out www.doubtcast.org. Reasonable Doubts is a production of WPRR Reality Radio. You can find out more about Reality Radio at publicrealityradio.org. Reasonable Doubts theme music is performed by Love Fossil and used with permission.